following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship, St. Pete, in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. This week I've been, and, and even this month, the Lord has just firmly established in my heart the, the value of relationships. And, and as I was talking to someone Wednesday night, I'm, I'm a task-oriented person. I like, I like to have a to-do list. I like to know what needs to be done so that at the end of the day, you know, I can say I've, I've done this. And, and what the Lord has taught me is that it's not always about the destination. It's about the journey. It's about the relationships that we build along the way. Um, and, and I feel, you know, in my heart, I feel heavy because I know that I've neglected a lot of relationships along the way, getting from point A to point B. And, and that's part of, you know, part of my struggle and part of my walk with the Lord is learning how to, to not neglect the relationships and the people that he's put in my life, but to, but to embrace them and to share the hope that God has given me with, with any and all who would listen. And relationships are super important. When, when, we, when we read scripture, we see the foundational relationship between, between God and, and us. And that, and that relationship is modeled between him and his son, right? This father-son relationship. And so it, it's hard to it's hard to accurately gauge scripture and read scripture without having that relational component. And a lot of Jesus's parables involved relationship because relationship doesn't just illustrate theology or illustrate the teachings. They are the theology. They are the teachings. They don't just add meaning. They develop, they bring the meaning to life. And so as we, as we read this, it, you know, I think about, I think about children, right? Because this father-son relationship, uh, do, do children question the authority of their parents? It, why do children do that? It's not like they don't believe that they're their parents, right? I, I know you're my parent, but I'm going to question you anyway. And we talk about a lot of times, we talk about boundaries. They're, they're trying to find their boundaries. Where, where does this, where does the authority exist, right? Where, where's the point to where I find this, this level of authority? And these types of situations generally occur when the will of the child is at odds with the will of the parent. They have to submit their will to, to the parent's will. Submission and obedience are not easy. It's not easy for children, but, but they can learn. How hard is it for adults who don't learn submission and obedience as a child to learn it when they're older? I, I believe it's much harder. Imagine Jesus knowing the Father's will fully and still being subjected to disobedience from those that God restored throughout history, his, his, those who are his chosen people, Israel. And then interacting with the, 
the religious leaders, the religious elite. In Matthew 21, the chief priests and the elders of the synagogue challenged Jesus' authority. And this is what he says in verses 28 through the beginning of 31. Jesus says, what do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first son and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind, and he went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he said, and he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of, the, of his father? And he was speaking to the religious elite, the leaders, the, the Pharisees and the scribes. And they said, the first. And I'm going to save the last part of verse 31 for a bit later. But what we realize is we realize that each family has its own little nuance, right? The, the relationships in, in each family is different. We each have our, our own uh, schedules that we, we adhere to, our own values. But as children, each each set of children, they, they are called to obey their own parents. Right? They, they obey the authority that God has placed them under. However, we notice that children sometimes act better for others than they do their own parents. And I've heard multiple reasons for this, and I think this is a mystery. I've, I've heard that Children are more comfortable with their parents. Or they feel safer and they're better able to express themselves, you know, their own, their own hurts and their feelings. And again, I, I don't know. But as we read the passage this morning and we, and we think about our own relationship with, with our parents and with our spiritual father, let's not take his love for granted. Let's not rebel because we feel this comfort. Something very special has been accomplished for all those who are in Christ. And if you've not taken the step of submitting to Jesus as Lord and Savior, I pray that Jesus' words this morning will impact your heart and soul deeply to the point of reconciliation with God. I'd like to, before I read the passage this morning, I'd like to open us in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we, as we endeavor to, to read your word and not just see it as words on a page, but, but understand it as your heart to your children. Father, that we would never neglect to, to meditate on the true meaning, on your true desire. And Lord, that we would petition the Spirit to guide us in all truth and all wisdom and all teaching, knowing that, that you are faithful, Lord. And Lord, how much you loved us through your Son, Jesus. And Father, I just thank you for this time that you've given us to, to come together as a body and to encourage one another and to lift one another up. And Lord, I pray that that the words that that I speak this morning would be would be precious in your sight. And Lord, I just thank you for the strength 
that you've given each one this morning to, to come here and to love one another the same love that you've shown us. Lord, I just thank you for all your good and perfect gifts in Jesus Christ. Amen. So if you guys would stand with me this morning, we're going to read the passage. This is Luke chapter 6, verses 39 through 49, and, and it'll be up on the screen for you. Starting in verse 39, this is Jesus speaking. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck that is in you, take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take out the speck that is in your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, it immediately fell, and the ruin of that house was great. You may be seated. The word of the Lord. The passage this week is the final part of Jesus' Sermon on the Plain in Luke 6. As we've noticed, there are many similarities and cross-references to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5-7. through In fact, the conclusion of both sermons ends with the same parable of the two builders. Teaching in parables is a hallmark of Jesus. In Matthew 13, Jesus' disciples asked him why he taught in parables. In verse 11 of Matthew 13, we read, And he, being Jesus, answered them, them being the disciples. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. This may sound harsh, these words coming from Jesus. But I feel his words are encrypted. And the only way to know Jesus and his words are through the Holy Spirit. The working of the Holy Spirit in the lives of Jesus' disciples is the mystery that was hidden from the eyes of the religious elite. 
the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said that he came to seek and to save the lost. Not just of Israel, but of all humankind. For those in Israel at that time, the Messiah was seen as their savior. Again, their savior. Not a savior to the nations as well. Jesus came to break down the barrier of nationality and cultural location that defined entrance into the kingdom of heaven and that granted one salvation. Was this received well? We read in Luke 4 when Jesus uh, inaugurated his earthly ministry in his hometown of Nazareth. After reading from the scroll in the synagogue, many spoke well of him. Then we read in Luke 4, 23 through 28. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, Doubtless you will quote me this proverb. Physician, heal yourself, which occurs on the cross. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. And this is where it gets good. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the, in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. In verse 28, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. What changed? Why did they go from speaking well of him to being filled with wrath? And this is central to Jesus' teachings in the passage that we read this morning in Luke 6. Jesus said that even though there were widows and lepers in Israel, Elisha and Elijah, the prophets, brought healing and cleansing to those outside Israel, the Gentiles. In the last part of Matthew 21, verse 31, that I started with, the two brothers, Jesus said to them, speaking the religious elite, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes will go into the kingdom of God before you. These are harsh words, but let, let's understand this this morning. Let's examine the passage this morning in greater detail to, to dig into this. First, by applying it and viewing it in terms of Jesus' original audience, and then to ourselves in, the, in these current times. So let's look at the, the first part of our passage this morning. This is Luke 6. 39 through 42. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. 
First take out of take the log out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. So an interesting exchange occurred in Matthew 15 between Jesus and his disciples. And, and it happened with a conversation they had between the Pharisees and their scribes. The Pharisees and their scribes questioned Jesus about why his disciples did not follow the traditions of the elders, namely to eat without washing their hands. To them, it was a matter of ritual uncleanness. In response, Jesus questioned their intentions about honoring God the Father with traditions rather than a heart of worship. Jesus called them hypocrites and quoted Isaiah 29 in verses 8 and 9 saying, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That's Matthew 15, 8 and 9. As the leaders of Israel, the Pharisees were the ones who were supposed to be following the word of God. And in doing so, they would have recognized that Jesus was the word made flesh. The Pharisees saw themselves as God's chosen people. But in their hearts, they harbored intense prejudice for those who were outside Israel. They despised in fact, those outside Israel, they, they wouldn't even go near Samaria. And they also had intense prejudice for those inside Israel that did not follow the rules they put in place. They were blind to the true heart of God and were indeed blind guides. And Luke 4 Jesus, uh, when he was reading the scroll, he says that he was sent to proclaim liberty to the captives and to recover the sight of the blind. So based on the passage, how is one supposed to remove the log from their own eye? This is what he asked them to do. First, remove the log from your own eye. How, let's ask this a different way. Because if you have a log in your eye, you're not going to be able to see. How does one recover their own sight? Speaking as though through an interpreter, Jesus is not referring specifically to their physical condition, but to their spiritual condition. Their hearts were far from God, and there is only one cure for this broken relationship. Reconciliation with God is found in no one else but Jesus Christ. On the road to Damascus in Acts 9, Paul experienced in physical form what he could not in his spirit. Blindness. This occurred through a revelation of Jesus at a time when no one would consider Saul of Tarsus a friend of Christians. But he was changed by the power of God through Jesus and the working of the Holy Spirit. Paul, at that time, had no idea that his relationship with God was broken. 
Does blindness do that? There may be some here that are blind to the broken relationship that they have with God the Father. And it's not too late for you. Trust in the Lord Jesus as Lord and Savior and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead for forgiveness of sins. And pray that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes. There is no other way to God except through Jesus Christ. And this, this is the mystery that eluded the religious elite in Israel. They thought they could get to God another way, that there was a there was another way to salvation. The second part of the passage is Luke 6, 43 through 45. We read, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. In the previous encounter from Matthew 15, Jesus says this, starting in verse 11. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came to him, and they said, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. The tree that bears good fruit is the one that is planted by the Father. The person that is rooted in Christ. The bad fruit comes from the father of lies. It really depends on who you are obeying. What or who are you living for? Is it the love of God or the traditions of man? The traditions of the Pharisees became to them a way to earn God's favor. In the early church, some made the claim that to be a Christian, one had to first follow all of the rules and the regulations of Judaism, all of the commandments that the religious elite had put in place. There are some today that would make similar arguments regarding ritual cleanness or purity, 
making righteousness something that can be attained through a work of man. Beware of these empty philosophies. The Apostle Paul says this to the believers in Colossae, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on ascetism or asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast, listen, not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God, the spiritual maturity. And this was Colossians 2, 16 through 19. Again, holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Leaves us with a couple questions. Are you nourished and knit together with the body of Christ? What are your priorities? Let us never stop giving thanks for this new life in Christ upon whom the entire church, the full assembly of believers across the world is built. And we come to the the third part of the the teaching this morning, the third part of the passage, and this is... um, important for us to understand the and grasp the, the teaching that Jesus is making. Luke six forty six through 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood, and, and when a flood arose, The stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. As I mentioned earlier, this parable closes both the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain. It holds this place because it aptly brings Jesus' teachings into proper perspective. The words spoken are not new, but are brought into the light of Jesus as the expected Messiah, the Messiah of all humankind. In the opening line, verse, verse 46, it says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you. These words hark back to the prophet Ezekiel while Israel was in exile. We can start in Ezekiel 33, verses um, 23 through 24. We read, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, the inhabitants of these waste places and the land of Israel keep saying, Abraham was only one man, Yet he got possession of the land, 
but we are many. The land is surely given us to possess. This reveals their heart. They wanted the land for themselves. Then Ezekiel and Ezekiel 33, 29 through 33, it says, Then they will know that I am the Lord. When I have made the land a desolation and a waste because of all their abominations that they have committed. As for you, son of man, your people who talk about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses, they say to one another, each to his brother, come and hear the word that has come from the Lord. And they come to you as a people come and they sit before you as my people and they hear what you say but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths, they act. Their heart is set on their own gain. And behold, you are too like them, one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. When this comes, and come it will, they will know that a prophet has been among them. This is Ezekiel 33. It is in this context that the parable of the two builders begins. When this comes, and come it will, they will know that a prophet has been among them. The first to speak a parable involving two shelters, a coming storm, and a foundation in Israel, is Isaiah. He spoke these words to Israel, who made an alliance with Egypt around 700 BC, in the light of the coming of the Assyrian army. In Isaiah chapter 28, verses 14 through 18, we read, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers, who rule this people in Jerusalem. So who's he talking to? The people who rule in Jerusalem. Because you have said, we have made a covenant with death, which is Egypt, and with Sheol we have an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us. For we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who's laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste, and I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. And hail will sweep away the refuge of lies, and waters will overwhelm the shelter. Then your covenant will death will be annulled, and your agreement with Sheol will not stand when the overwhelming scourge passes passes through. You will be beaten down by it. There's so many parallels between these two passages, the, the two buildings that were built. But after considering all that Jesus had taught in the sermon, The focus is on hearing and doing his words. 
what he said at the very beginning. As the Israelites were putting their faith in Egypt instead of God in the time of Isaiah, the leaders in Jerusalem in the time of Jesus were putting their faith in man-made traditions rather than God. In Israel, they had a stone that was in the center of the temple. They called it the, the cornerstone. This was a, a central aspect of their sacrificial sin, system. And that's why it was at the center of the temple. However, as Isaiah spoke of a future foundation laid by God, a cornerstone, Jesus also speaks about a house that is built upon the rock. The rock, which is the cornerstone of our faith, is Jesus. The man who hears and does the words of Jesus, who builds his house on the rock, must dig deep. And just like the soil in Jerusalem is like bronze in the summer, when, when clay gets baked in the heat, this is when foundations are laid. And it will not be easy to dig deep. And the, and the same is true of us. In Luke nine twenty three and 24, Jesus said, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Again, how often must this be done? Daily. There is a cost to obeying Jesus' words. Laying down one's life on the altar of love. But the reward is great in heaven. Unfortunately, there were and still are some who were blind to the impending storm. And after hearing Jesus' words, choose not to do them, not to believe. And I pray that, that this doesn't apply to any in this building this morning. So let's, we, we, we see how the religious elite, how the people of this time would have understood it through the prophets. Let's take this application to, to ourselves, to, to our current time. So the first application that's made is open your eyes. The mystery of ages was being revealed right before the eyes of the religious elite in Jerusalem. That the Messiah, Jesus, was making salvation available to all who would believe in him, even the Gentiles. And this was not what they wanted to hear. We are rich this morning to have this mystery open to us. Colossians 1, 27 and 28, Paul says this, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, 
here it is, which is Christ in you. That's the mystery, the rich, the richness of this. The hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That was Paul's heart. Don't take for granted the great love that was shown to us through the life of Jesus Christ, revealed by the saints as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let us not be like the religious elite who think we are chosen because of something that we do. It is Christ in us. Remove all prejudice, hate, jealousy, and the like from your lives. God is faithful and just to bring into light the sin that is in your life. And through confession and repentance, submit to him. Take up your cross daily. He has forgiven you by the blood of Christ shed on the cross. Again, he has forgiven you by the blood of Christ shed on the cross. Removing impurities, however, requires an exchange. Denying oneself must be accompanied by carrying your cross. Examine your hearts this morning. As we begin to reflect on this occasion, we we get to share in the Lord's Supper. The second application is abundance of the heart. Jesus made it clear that one's physical life was a reflection of their spiritual life. He did not say that bad things happen to bad people. That's called karma. And karma has no place in Christianity. It has to do with how you handle each moment of this life given by God. The attitude or the abundance of your heart produces thoughts, actions, and words, each of which is fruit, good or evil. What fruit are our lives producing? Are we aware of what we speak, what we think, and what we do? It is true, we all have blind spots. But if you are willing this morning, ask the Lord to reveal any areas where you are not bearing good fruit, and then seek that place in your heart that needs to be healed. Seek the Lord and let Him be your refuge. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And here it is, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable 
and perfect. Let this appeal ring true in your hearts and minds this morning. You may test and discern what is the will of God for your life. And this brings us to the third application point. When the storm comes. And notice it's not if the storm comes. When the storm comes. It's important to note in the parable that the storm came upon both houses. There was no escaping, or I should say there is no escaping storms in this life. And you know what the storms are? They're a test. Each storm is a test. When faced with challenges and difficulty in this life, I challenge you to pray. How are you testing me in this moment, Lord? And listen to him speak to you. That's how we take refuge in our Father. Isaiah was not just prophesying about the impending destruction from the Assyrians, but he was also pointing to a greater future destruction. Jesus was not just prophesying about the impending destruction of the temple at the hands of the Romans in 70 AD, but he was also referring to a greater future destruction. What then is this storm that is coming upon all? At the beginning of Isaiah 28, we get an idea in verse 2. We read, Behold, the Lord has one who is mighty and strong, like a storm of hail, a destroying tempest, like a storm of mighty overflowing waters. He casts down to the earth with his hands. As Isaiah said, I'm sorry, Ezekiel said, When this comes, and come it will, Jesus will return and God's judgment will happen. This is a reality. Those who hear and obey by the power of the Holy Spirit, their entrance to our future home in heaven is granted. Just like the angel of death passed over the homes in Egypt that were covered by the blood of the Lamb, your house will also be granted entrance. Judgment will pass over because of the blood of Christ shed on the doorpost of your life. What should this do? This should motivate us to share God's love to any and all who would listen. And this is the great commission. This is what Jesus shared with us in Matthew 28, 18 through 20 that we would take this message to to all the nations, to all the world. So let us reflect this morning as the, as the, during the worship set. If, if you don't have a relationship with Christ this morning, I just pray that you would examine your hearts and that the Lord would reveal any area where you're spiritually blind, reveal your spiritual blindness, and that you would consider the reality of Jesus' return and the judgment that we'll all face. Is the blood of Christ spread over the doorpost of your life this morning? Amen.
Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.